Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're on Long Final. Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. I'm a pilot. I've been a pilot for the last 23 years. I had the privilege of holding the position of Director of Safety and Technical with the Irish Airline Pilots Association for three years from 2011 to uh, 2013. During that time, I would have worked quite closely with our peer support programme. And I'll be very honest, I, I was shocked and surprised at the number of pilots that were coming to us looking for help with mental health issues. That's Captain Paul Cullen, a researcher with the School of Psychology, Trinity College, Dublin, and the founder of the Lived Experience Wellbeing Project. I would have imagined, in my ignorance at the time, that this just shouldn't be happening, that we were supposedly cut from the same cloth as astronauts. If these individuals had gone through the same selection process that I had gone through, they should have been stable extroverts, and that none of us should be having mental health problems, because we weren't that group in society. So it came as a great shock to me that so many of my colleagues were having problems. And I suppose I wanted to understand why. I did a bit of reading up about it and was, I was stonewalled by the the lack of evidence and research that had been done on the subject. There'd been plenty of research done on other work groups, but very, very little done on airline pilots. In the absence of any credible research that was out there, I started my own research. At the time, I didn't know it was research. It was just satisfying for me what has always been an insatiable curiosity. I was always that child who asked why. I think I was always a little bit of a defiant disruptor. I need to understand things. I just That's just the way my mind works. This was something that I didn't understand. It didn't make sense and I needed to understand it. Okay, so I suppose if we we broaden this out a little bit, because we have people listening to our podcast to our pilots, uh, some professionals, some recreational, and some who are not indeed. But the the idea, I suppose, that you're painting initially is that there was this totem pole raised that pilots were, as you say, next only to astronauts. And that there was this idea that there would be absolutely no issue when it came to how that person might react to the normal stresses and strains that the rest of the population have. And apply on top of that, this idea that mental health still carries a taboo. Yes, it, it does in some circles more so than others. I think traditionally there would when we thought of mental health, we would have thought of well for me, I would have thought of two circles in society. You had us and you had them. No one wanted to really acknowledge that mental health was a thing. It was something that you just pushed aside, you, you swept under the carpet. For years in our families we may have had either a parent or a nant who had a problem with their nerves. We now know that that's anxiety 
or we had a family member who was fond of the jar. They liked a few pints. That could actually be addiction. Or there was someone in the family who was a bit down, a bit blue, a bit cranky. It could actually be underlying depression. We, we tend not to talk about it, but that is changing. And I think society is starting to realize that we all have good days. We all have bad days. And that just like our physical health, we're all susceptible to mental health. Mm. Mental health, I believe, and a lot of our research team believe that this can be our superpower. Pilots can actually use mental health to our advantage, that we don't need to be scared of this taboo subject. Oh, we can't talk about mental health, you lose your license. That's nonsense. But we also, I suppose, have the advantage, uh, if there's such a thing as an advantage from, from the COVID pandemic, is that now the general population also are happier to talk a little bit about feeling fed up and feeling uh, down or feeling off colour or, or, or not on par. Um, and, and so may, maybe there's a possibility now for everybody to be able to say, do you know what, actually, I'm not OK and, and, and this is not good. Yeah, I do agree. I think that the, the COVID pandemic has exposed us all. It's, it's knocked us all for six. And I do also think that some industries have been hit far harder than others. And particularly if you listen to the news the last few days and this idea of a, a, a zero COVID island, how that's going to hit aviation. And I'm not going to get into the pros and cons of zero COVID. That's, that's not my area of expertise, but mental health and aviation is. I think one of the big things we need to look at when we talk about mental health and aviation is how it's managed. We, like, we can't just throw it out as a free-for-all. Yeah, you can have mental health issues and we're not going to worry about it. We do actually have to worry about it because it does pose an extremely serious threat to aviation. Aviation is a high-risk industry anyway, and we manage all the other hazards. All right, so, well, let, let's go back and look at that specifically and, and talk about it from an aviation point of view. Because, you know, if you talk about the, the history of, of aviation safety uh, and you were going to, you know, the, the introduction of checklists maybe back in the 1960s and the, the, the reduction of the captain from being a demigod, uh, but again, in the early days of aviation, it brought in this concept of, of a human factor. The, the men and women up the front of the aeroplane were human. You mentioned the 1960s. If we go back to the 1960s and think of what was going on in aviation then, there was an alarming number of airplanes slamming into the side of mountains, for want of a better word. Uh, and what we didn't do, we didn't not talk about the mountains. We didn't pretend they weren't there, nor did we bulldoze the mountains, and nor did we prohibit people from flying into mountainous regions. What we did was we raised awareness of those mountains. So we, we equipped our pilots with maps on those maps were charted the Alps, the Himalayas, the, ter the terrain was on the charts. And that went some way to solving the problem, but it didn't completely get rid of it. So often in life, the hazards that are really going to impact us are the ones we're not aware of. Like we spend 90% of our time worrying about stuff that's never going to happen. 90% of the stuff we worry about in life, when it does happen, it's nowhere near as bad as, it, as we feared. And then 90% of the really, really bad shit that happens to us in life, we never worried about because we never knew that car was going to blindside us at 2 a.m. in the morning. We're worrying about the wrong stuff. Another thing we need to bear in mind is that mental health is what we call a performance shaping factor. There's lots of other performance shaping factors for, for pilots. That could be something like our experience level, the training we've received, the operational complexity on the day, the weather. We need to bear in mind that performance shaping factors, they can be positive 
or they can be negative in that you can have good training. You can also have bad training. You can have high levels of experience or you can have low levels of experience. And equally, we can have negative mental health, but you can also have positive mental health. And a positive, positive mental health is all about resilience. It's been able to withstand the slings and the arrows that are thrown at us in life. I know, but Paul, even in the last year or so, we've all found ourselves being called onto Zoom meetings where our companies were going to give us a, a wellness talk. I, I can think back to, you know, people organising yoga sessions and, and healthy eating days or weeks. Or might, there might even have been an annual resilience day. Why hasn't that worked? I, I think it's been superficial. I think a box of free bananas or a lunchtime yoga, in my experience, those initiatives, well-being week, all that does to me and feedback I've got from my colleagues is highlight the void that exists the other 51 weeks of the year. I think they're superficial. They may be well intended, but so I think it's box ticking. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But you see, there's, a, there's an almost unwritten, and certainly it is unwritten, but there's a psychological contract between the public and aviation. You guys, well, and girls, will keep us safe. Uh, and in doing so, that you are these almost superhuman beings. Yeah, well, that contract is not just between ourselves and the public. It, it's with ourselves. Like at the end of the day, I'm sitting at the front of the airplane. I'm looking after me as well as the traveling public. I, I wanted to understand why this whole thing of resilience was present in some people and not in others. Back in 2015, would you believe it was just before the German Wings accident, I started what I what was preliminary field research. I didn't know at the time where it was going to lead. It was just satisfying a curiosity. I informally interviewed 103 pilots. At the time, I carried a little black notebook 
I never took names, never took dates, nothing was identifiable, it didn't matter. All I wanted was data. I wanted to understand what it was that was causing pilots issues. I actually sort of nicknamed it pain in the asses because my terminology was, was, I was so ill-equipped. I was doing this on my own. I was just looking to see could I spot themes. And I would speak to people. I would just steer the conversation and stuff like sleep, weekends, working weekends, missing family events, lack of control over their roster, delays, been strapped into a seat for hours on end, not been able to go to the loo when you want to use the bathroom, access to fresh food, how it impacts on people's hobbies, even divergence in your values and your beliefs from what the organization uh, holds. So all these pain in the asses, I listed out and I, st- I tried to plot them out on a chart and then German wings happened. At the time, I was working as a human factors consultant in Trinity College and I had approached the group I was with at the time to see, could we look at this? And their attitude was, yeah, Paul, that's really interesting, but it's not our area of expertise. That's more medical. We're human factors. We're aviation psychologists. So I kind of just kept tipping away on my own. And then when German wings happened, we realized, okay, this is something serious. We approached a psychologist, Dr. Keith Gaynor out in St. John of God's. I'd actually seen him on prime time discussing German wings. And we sat down with him. It was myself and one of my colleagues, Dr. Joan Cahill. She's an aviation psychologist from Trinity. We sat down with Dr. Gaynor in St. John of God's and we presented my notebook, basically, all the pains in the asses. Joan had previously told me that what they were was sources of work-related stress. So that was in her language. It was sources of work-related stress. But in a clinical sense, they were risk factors. All these things that I had identified were risk factors for the pathogenesis of mental distress. That was the start of our research. We then held a series of workshops and we identified a series of scenarios. This was how we believed mental health may be impacting on safety. And we identified that it wasn't the tiny, exceptionally rare events that we need to be looking at. What we need to be looking at were scenarios where pilots may be coming to work and they're just not bringing their game face. They're not on their A game. There's something going on in the background that they're trying to deal with and they're struggling and it's impacting on their performance. Now, in the most cases, the other pilot will pick up or the pilot themselves may pick up that they've made a mistake. But what if, what if it's not picked up? As I mentioned earlier on, 99.5% of accidents are not deliberately caused. But we do know that somewhere in the region of 70 to 80% of those 99.5% of accidents, which is still a huge number, are caused by human factors. And what we don't know is to what extent does mental health play in those human factors issues? And that's what we're trying to dig down now and look at. The next stage of our research was to try understand the role played by work-related stress and also lifestyle factors. What is it that sets the two groups of pilots apart? Those who are susceptible and those are resilient in the hope that we could identify strategies that pilots who are struggling might be able to employ to bring them closer to their colleagues who are resilient and equally identify lifestyle patterns that resilient pilots should maintain and and also steer clear of if they don't want to end up susceptible. We got over 1,000 pilots to partake in this study. Initially, I had considered just 
looking at the pilots in my own airline. And then I thought, why just focus on one airline? So let's go global. We launched the global survey in 2018. To the best of my knowledge, it's still the largest and the most detailed study that has ever been carried out into airline pilots, looking at their lifestyles and the connections with mental health. Some of the findings that we got from that study were that 73% of pilots reported musculoskeletal issues, primarily back issues. 81% of pilots reported sleep difficulties. 58% of pilots reported digestive problems such as IBS. 50% of pilots reported loneliness. 43% reported marital discord. And 37% of pilots reported psychological distress. Now, what's interesting about that is, I don't believe many pilots fully understand how mental health works. And that there's actually, there's no such thing as mental health in isolation. There's no such thing as your physical health in isolation. There's well-being, health. Our health can be thought of like a three-legged stool. We have our physical health, we have our mental health, and we have our social health. And as with any stool, if you weaken one leg of a three-legged stool, what happens? The stool topples. The stool will only be as strong as the weakest of the three legs. So therefore, we need to reinforce the three legs of any stool equally. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. So we need to hone in on physical health, mental health, and social health. Now, to come back to those figures, the most common issue was sleep. 81% reported sleep difficulties. We saw a very strong correlation in pilots who reported sleep difficulties with their levels of depression and suicidal ideation. We also saw a very strong correlation with those pilots who reported musculoskeletal issues and digestive problems. The same went with loneliness and marital discord. If we think of James Reason's Swiss cheese model, the layers of cheese with the holes in it, there's no silver bullet for mental health. But what there is, is there's defenses you can put in place. And we found from our studies that those pilots who focused on sleep, those pilots who focused on a good, healthy diet, who focused on being active, who focused on having a social support network. And by social network, I don't mean Facebook. Mm. I mean having a shoulder to cry on. We all need to not only have a shoulder to cry on, but also to, to be that shoulder for someone else to cry on. And finally, we needed a sense of purpose in our life. You may be familiar with a book by Viktor Frankl, the Austrian psychologist who was incarcerated in Auschwitz, and he survived. And he puts the reason why he survived down to the fact that he was carrying a manuscript in his pocket that he wanted to get published. He speaks about why we all need a purpose, why we need a reason to put your shoes on in the morning, why we need a reason just to, to live. And those pilots who had a sense of purpose. Now, for some, like, we can't tell you what your sense of purpose is. It's unique to all of us. But we need a sense of purpose. We it's need a, yeah, It's an interesting career because you can spend the early part of your career trying to become that pilot. That That is a massive sense of purpose that a lot of people have. And it's interesting that even in the news this morning, I saw a story covered in the in the UK of a uh, an A330 captain who now works for, for Sainsbury's. His sense of distress uh, as his identity has been changed radically. Well, you hit the nail on the head there. Identity. Most pilots don't work as pilots. They are pilots. Yeah. I was four years of age when I decided I wanted to be a pilot. We've all heard a joke. What's the difference between God and a pilot? <laughs> do you want you know, to give me the answer? <laughs> or how do you know you're in a room with a pilot? He'll tell He'll you. Tell you. Yeah. It's, it's part of our DNA. And I think that's one of the reasons why COVID has hit so many of us so mm. hard mm. that 
we're sitting here, we're twiddling our thumbs. What's the resistance that you might get from from colleagues when you when you talk about this? Because in truth, we all know that there's often a deep sigh when somebody's sent on a CRM refresher course because, you know, it's not flying. I have been really surprised by the response from my colleagues. I'm no longer involved in IALPA, but since I started this research, I would say at least once a month, a colleague has come up to me and told me their story. I think the only people in life who don't have mental health issues at some stage in their life are narcissists. We all have it. Mm. Everyone has it. If you don't have it now, get ready because you will have it at some stage. If you've unsettled somebody listening to the, the podcast today, what do you say to them? I think it's, oh, it's, I'd say to them, it's okay to be not okay. Like if someone asked me, am I feeling down at the moment? Absolutely. Am I anxious? Absolutely, I'm anxious. I don't know where I'm going to be working in six months' time. But what I do know is I'm not alone. I know that there are an awful lot of my colleagues who are in the same boat. Not just my colleagues, people in life. Some of the figures we got, we did a study. In the earliest stages of the pandemic, we published a booklet, a booklet called Turbulent Times. And this was a 20-page booklet, just in layman's terms using some of the findings from our research that we hoped would help colleagues, might help them weather this storm. Because I'm sick of hearing people saying, we're all in the same boat. That's crap. We're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. Some of us are on cruise liners and other people are hanging on to a life raft. We published this booklet. I shared it online. Since then, it's been shared by many airlines and we put it up on LinkedIn. From there, it's been downloaded 50,000 times. Based on that, we were approached by the Flight Safety Foundation to help them produce a guide for aviation workers. It's available on the Flight Safety Foundation website. It's an aviation, aviation professional's guide to well-being. And then on foot of that, we were approached by IASA in the summer. IASA were concerned about what they called a perfect safety storm. They feared that due to the change in the industry, in terms of the rate of the change and the extent, the possible lack and or delegation of oversight and the possible eroding of morale and well-being of safety critical staff that we could be lining up for a bad event. They asked us as independent researchers to get a measure of what was going on. That we did. Over a three-week period in August, we launched a survey to assess the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on aviation workers and the aviation system. We had over 2,000 participants fill out our survey. 38% of them were pilots, 19% cabin crew, 11% air traffic control, 8% engineers. It was a very diverse sample. We measured levels of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. For the pilots, they were asked if their mental health had worsened during the pandemic. So you asked me if someone is feeling that they might be feeling a bit down. I'd say to them, don't worry too much. You're not alone. 70% of your pilot colleagues are feeling the same. We carried out our survey in 2018. Back in 2016, there was a study done in Harvard in the USA that caused a lot of controversy when they reported that 12% of pilots were depressed and 4% were having suicidal thoughts. That caused consternation in America at the time. But what they didn't do, they never highlighted that that's not actually that bad. It's very much in line with the general population. And all those figures say to me is, it reassures me that pilots are human. We're not robots, we're human. 
Our study in 2018, we got a figure of 18% were meeting the threshold for moderate clinical depression. 6% were having suicidal thoughts. But I should point out, not everyone who has a suicidal thought carries out their intent. It's just a thought. They don't, they don't follow through on it. And most certainly do they not involve other people or an airplane. So these figures, we don't actually need to be afraid of these figures. It's just a hazard that we need to manage. So how do these figures compare to what's going on now in COVID? Not much surprise to us because the, the whole world, their mental health is struggling. The figures did increase, but the figures from moderate depression have increased to 25%. Sounds a lot, but it is in line with what's going on in the general population. So it should be no surprise, but it is a hazard that we have to manage. It's a bit like the wind. We don't worry too much about wind in July, but come November through to February, that's a new hazard we have to worry about, or winter ops with ice and snow. We just have to measure, or so we have to manage the hazards as they arise. Paul, what, what's your call to action? What has to happen next? Well, I think this is a joint responsibility, but ultimately it's our health. It's my health. It's your health. One other figure that we got from the COVID survey that I think the airline industry should be aware of is that 27% of pilots are meeting the threshold for moderate anxiety. That figure of 27% is bang in line with the general population. But what this means for pilots is when we come to work, we can't leave that anxiety in the car park. We bring that with us. And the airline industry, like this is just one example of how mental health can impact safety. The airline industry has invested heavily in upset prevention and recovery training. Pilots over the years have been acting inappropriately, particularly when startled. They're presented with something that just makes no sense, but also they're presented with something that was completely out of the blue. And we go into the, the fight, flight, freeze response, and our response is totally inappropriate for the situation. If you have high levels of anxiety, you are far more likely for your amygdala to go into overload and to go into that flight, fight, freeze response. So 27% of pilots, according to our data, are meeting the threshold for moderate or severe anxiety. And it's also worth bearing in mind that airplanes are not the only things that can become upset and that need to recover. Pilots, we become upset. We need upset prevention recovery training for ourselves. And I think that that's what now needs to happen. Before that happens, well-being, our health, it's a joint responsibility, but ultimately I'm responsible for my health. You're responsible for yours. Yes, the airlines have a role to play, but if we wait for the airlines and the regulators to act, it's going to be too late. But ultimately, the industry will need to step up and they will need to address their part to play. It's not some fluffy abstract notion. It's actually measurable. There are technological solutions out there and these are needed. And this is actually something that our research group is now starting to delve into. Much in the same way that technology is used to monitor flights, like flight data monitoring, it's not designed to look at individual flights. It's designed to look at the health of a fleet of pilots. So how many of our pilots are landing deep? How many of our pilots are taxiing too fast? Where are the trends and how can we design training programs and incorporate into existing training programs how to address those indicators? They're what's called leading indicators. There's also leading indicators in our well-being. 
plenty of people nowadays who track their well-being using wearable devices, whether it's an Apple Watch, a Fitbit, a Garmin. They look at their sleep. They look at their diet. That's at the individual level. But there's similar parameters that at an organizational level, airlines could look at. Look at the pilot's sleep. Don't just assume that every pilot gets eight hours sleep. We don't. Don't assume that all your pilots are active. Finally, Paul, where can people find out more? If you've, you've whetted people's appetite to, to delve into this deeper, where would you direct them? Probably the best place is to Google Lived Experience Wellbeing Project. If you Google Lived Experience Wellbeing Project, that will bring you to the Trinity College website where all of our stuff is, or else you can find me on LinkedIn or also find Lived Experience Wellbeing Project on LinkedIn. Well, we'll put a link to that in the programme notes. Paul Cullen, thank you for joining us on Long Final. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.